So accountability. This is something that has been hitting the church often in the last few years. What kind of accountability should a Christian have? What kind of accountability should a pastor have? Let's talk about that as we watch our culture stray further every day. Howdy. Jonathan Fiala for Further Every Day, sitting actually in the chair, producer and host, sitting out at the chairs today. Golf clap, golf clap. Golf clap, yep, yep. And I'm joined by a uh, full panel here. First off, we've got a very special guest, and uh, his name is Pastor Shannon Talley. He is a pastor in North Houston for a wonderful, wonderful church. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Glad to have you on, sir. And to his left, we got Miss Nikki. Hello. How are you? Doing well. You? I'm good. Sitting in the chair of theology. The best yeah. looking one in the group. Yes, she uh, is. What, 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 he's, uh, looking, he's looking for brownie points. Oh, points. No, he got no. one today. <laughs> well, he got one. He got one. Looking around the room, who could disagree with that? He got one. <laughs> I'll go with that. Yeah, okay. I think so. I, th I think he's right. Oh, so yep. moving over to the left, we got the Steve Johnson. How's it going? Yes, very good. Uh, very, very well today. And uh, Sitting in the chair of politics. Out. Yes, step, step outside the box. And... The box. I'm going to be politically incorrect today. The box is uh, is contagious. You got Mr. Yeah, Charlie doing yeah, it. He's sitting in the chair of economics. It, it's like one of those things, man. <laughs> got to step outside. Mr. Charlie, in the chair of economics, how are you? I am here, ready to rumble and ready to roll. All right. So let's go ahead and actually start. I, I think we, we should really start at the, at the center of the issue, and it, we're, we're talking about accountability from the Christian perspective, and if you're not a Christian, God bless you. I think that you could actually still find value in this. So I, I want to start with Miss Nikki, and then I want to pass it immediately up to Pastor uh, uh, Tally. What does the Bible say in regards to holding accountability? And specifically, let's start with teachers, elders, and deacons, and, and don't think that that lets you off the hook from these standards. But there's a reason those standards are in play. What does the Bible say about accountability, and why is it so important for the individual? Well, it's not just important for the individual. It's also important for the, the ministry at hand. Um, you know, in Proverbs, it talks about the wounds of an enemy are better than kisses from—I'm sorry, the wounds of a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. And what I mean by that is if you are— living a Christian life and somebody comes up to you to either help you in an area that you may be weak or they see that you are falling away, that's out of love. That's constructive criticism to keep you on the, the narrow path of righteousness. And if not, it has a great ripple effect. And let me just share with you something that happened this week at work because I work in the accounting department. So I enter some numbers and I send them to four different coworkers. They take my numbers, they enter into their responsibility. Well, I had a coworker email me individually without the other ones on, and she goes, review your number and let me know that that's correct. Well, it wasn't. What would have happened is my incorrect number would have made her numbers incorrect, would have made somebody else's numbers incorrect, and it would have had a ripple effect. In the church, in ministry, when one person starts to go astray and it's not questioned or not addressed, it will have a ripple effect mm. and cause other areas of the church to hurt. So, Pastor, well said. your thoughts on that? So, when you first contacted me about this podcast, uh, I was my daily Bible reading that day was in Genesis 23, 
And I just found it very ironic uh, that this was our topic, this is what we were going to discuss, and that was the passage. So uh, Genesis 23 is when Sarah died, Abraham's wife, Sarah. And he wants to buy property to bury his dead. And I'd never seen this story from this perspective, but and yet it, it makes sense. And it also gives a great example, in my opinion. But the way they did business in those days was all the town leaders gathered at the town square. And in public, Abraham says, I need to buy land to bury my dead. And I would really like to have this man's land. And, and of course, uh, my uncle is from Nazareth, Israel, and I have found this to be exactly the way they still do things today. Uh, you know, the guy says, oh, you know what? You're such a great guy, Abraham. You can have the land. Well, he didn't really mean that. Uh, that was just being nice. And Abraham said, no, I'm not going to take something for free. I need this for to bury my dead. And so let me pay the full asking price of what it's worth. And, and so he did so. And the guy said, well, you know, what's a piece of land between friends, but it's worth, and he tells him the asking price. <laughs> and so Abraham, in front of everybody, pours out onto the scale the exact amount that that land is worth. And as I'm reading through that, I'm thinking, what a wonderful way to handle business yeah. in, in that setting, that all the town leaders where that man cannot come back later and say, hey, I really wanted this, but you talked me down, and, and I, think that, I think that was unfair. No, everybody heard the whole conversation. They heard what he offered. They heard what Abraham, they saw what Abraham paid. There's no more confusion. And to me, when we talk about accountability, what we're saying is there is no confusion. My words match my actions, and all you have to do is come walk with me for a minute, and you can see that. And if there's any, and if there's any concern, ask me a question. And, and I just thought we got a great example from Abraham, and I totally agree uh, that that just pulls down. Because when somebody, and specifically pastors, start acting like I'm above everybody else, we have a problem. You're on your way down. Uh, you're on your way to a failure. Uh, it has to, you have to be accountable to everybody that you serve. Well, and, and that actually goes further. That, that We can talk about ecclesiology. We could talk about the study of relationships. But it really boils down to we're all accountable to God. Yes. And every single one of us. And in the case of leadership, whether you're a father, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a pastor, or whether you lead a large group of people in some sort of organizational structure, whether it be a bishop or someone in a large org, you're more accountable to God for more people, at least for the direction that you personally pull that group or those individuals. Mm -hmm. And so accountability, we, we were, you know, I was just talking with someone about it. They were talking about how they handled money in an organization uh, just a few minutes ago. And they said, one of the most important things is that you always have that physical presence of accountability. Mm -hmm. And it's not for, it's not for the, the lack of, of, uh, Trust. Trust. The, 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 the lack of virtue is the word yep. I was looking for yep. on, on, the, on the individual. It's so that everyone knows mm -hmm. that yeah. you say what you say, you mean what you mean, mm -hmm. just like you said. Well, and I think uh, all of us in this room have been in church a long time, been in the ministry a long time. And what I have learned is what you don't say, somebody else fills in the gap. Mm. So if you don't want any miscommunication or misunderstanding or confusion, then say it. Say what needs to be said. 
uh, say everything that you ought to say, uh, and, and not only say it, but let it be true what you're saying. Yeah. So with that in mind, and, and I'm going to open this up, so we're going to talk about a little bit from, this, from the chair of, of um, philosophy, or just from the Christian's thought process, because we're going to go over three stories today mm-hmm. of, of different uh, accountability issues within the church. And yes, the pastors are being held up, but I, I really don't want our, our listeners or viewers to think that we somehow are abstaining the layman, or the laity, from that kind of accountability. It's just we all see what a pastor does, and it affects the view of the church. But uh, if we understand that we're accountable to God, how should what does that look like in the day-to-day Christian's life? And I want to ask Pastor Tally first, and then I want to just open that up to the floor after he lays it out. What does that look like in your day-to-day life if you believe that there is a God that you're accountable to, and you're going to eventually have to respond for your, your actions? I think on just a simplistic level for me, it is he is aware of everything, not only that I am doing, he's aware of what I'm thinking. Mm. He is aware of what I mean, Uh, because we have the ability to say something that is vague enough, but he knows what I meant. And he knows such interior of my life uh, that, you know, as a pastor, what do I want? I want to stand in the pulpit and sense his presence and his power. Uh, when I'm studying, I'm asking him, God, I want to, I want to prepare what you want. Well, I can't do that if I'm trying to hide a section of my life from God mm. that he doesn't have access to. So it boils down to accountability with God is he has access to every part of my life, every area of my life. And what I have found in my journey with the Lord is that which I do not want to bring to the surface. If I don't let him deal with it, he will eventually bring it out where somebody else can. Uh, and if I'm going to stay true to him, I'd much rather be accountable to him and fix it between me and him before anybody else has ever got to be involved. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anything you want to add? I, I go back to Dr. Del Tackett in his uh, study, The Truth Project, and he shares a story in there that he was counseling with a, a young man who was having an issue with porn. And he asked the young man, do you believe in the sovereignty and the providential presence of God? And the young man didn't hesitate. Yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Del Tackett said, no, you do not. No, you do not. And I'm sure that probably stung the guy just for a moment. But Dr. Del Tackett said, you would not look at those images if you really believed mm-hmm. that God was right there with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really a, a great illustration, especially to the issue of what Pastor Shannon has brought out, and that is, you know, sometimes we don't even think about our thought life mm-hmm. being accessed by God, but yet it is. Mm-hmm. And we can go to the book of Psalms to see God is everywhere, every moment. Amen. So, so, yeah, and, and j- just to add on to that, that, that's something that I personally really have, have strug- struggled with in my life. Uh, I, I've got a couple of uh, folks in my life who've just recently passed. They've had dementia, and uh, I've, I've watched them. Most people, when they have dementia, y- you associate that with being angry mm-hmm. or being frustrated or upset. These, these two ladies, two godly Christian ladies, everything that slipped out of their brain just... Un, there was no filter, was sweet, 
lovely, or it was like, don't bother them. I know you have to go to the bathroom. Just hold it in a little bit longer. You don't have to bother. And they're, they're muttering that underneath their breath. Like they're trying to like hold, they're saying, don't bother them. It, it's Don't be rude. And, and you're seeing them struggle with, with their internal thought life, but they've mm-hmm. kept it so pristine for so long yeah. that even when everything that's going on up here is dribbling out from for the world to see, which by the way, God has that view every day. Mm-hmm. Is my thought life clean enough so that if tomorrow I get a traumatic brain injury and I start to have no barrier, what would people think about me? Wow. Like that that's something that 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 hits my brain. So John Arthur, there's in Psalms one thirty nine, it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou understandest my down sitting and my uprising, thou art acquaint uh, thou understandest my thought afar off. And so y- I guess when you can understand that in your early walk of your Christian life, it makes a difference. If you think or you don't think that your thoughts, that God understands your thought life, then you probably are in trouble. Hmm. Because if you think you can hide it, then you're not going to be as conscious to correct it. That was the passage I was looking to. She she just quoted it. Mm -hmm. So... Just kind of moving forward here, uh, in the chair of culture, and I, I, I'm, again, I'm opening this up to everyone because pastors kind of sit in there, and you know, he's like, I, I studied for what I studied. That's good. Okay. Uh, we're, we're all we're all going to kind of share in this one here. What has the church done or not done in regards to accountability within her own ranks? And we can talk about church discipline, but we can also talk about how the the clergy has not been held to like a standard. Mm. What has that done to the culture around us? What has that done to the name of Christ? To Miss Nikki's point earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think we have seen, I think we've seen several things in our culture. Number one, the church does not have the, the cultural impact that it once had. Uh, but I would say a step further that inside the church walls, you don't see the power of God moving inside the churches like you once did. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've shared with our deacons at our church that, uh, and I've shared this with our staff, there's something I've been hearing for the last couple of years, and that is we've just been looking for a church that teach the Bible. That should be an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be that you go to any evangelical <laughs> church that names the name of Christ, they ought to be teaching the Bible. But yet, and yet, we keep finding a lot of people coming going, we were just glad I went to Sunday school. They taught the Bible. You preached from the Bible. You you preached the Word, and they're surprised. And somewhere along the way, somebody should have said, why aren't we doing this in the church? Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. There should have been a church Absolutely. member who said to the pastor, uh, shouldn't you use your Bible? Isn't that why we're a Christian church? For you know, One of the reasons is that we, we believe in the Word of God. S- somebody should have said that along the way. But I can almost promise you the reason they didn't is because they would have been ostracized uh, by leadership, by the pastor. And um, there is a statement that I make often. Uh, I don't ask you to check your brains at the door when you walk in the the door. And that if you, I hope somebody loves me enough to say, hey, pastor, I don't think that was right. You might want to go double check that. (laughs) You better look at that. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather somebody say that and let me, because I would be willing to come back to church and say, hey, church, I missed it last week. Because I am going to stand before God with how I presented the Word of God to His people. So uh, 
I think God's people need to, number one, they got to know the Bible. They can't judge whether I'm preaching the truth if they're not studying the Word of God and know that. Mm-hmm. But number two, I'd hope they'd love me enough to come say to me, hey, there's something wrong with that. So I actually want to pick up on something you just said there. You said something very interesting. You said, A, the, the laity should be holding the clergy accountable, right? And and, and that's, that's the biggest part. I think there's lack of church discipline. There's a lack of accountability with, with pastors. But you just said something interesting, and I, I don't want to dive too down, far down this rabbit hole. But I heard one preacher one time say, if you come in to me on Sunday and say, oh, preacher, I am so filled and so nourished, I've been dying all week to get here, his response to that parishioner was, so you mean to tell me you didn't feed yourself all week Oops. and you waited until Sunday Oops. to eat? Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think that the culture in the church has has kind of eroded a little bit, because in the, the New Testament church that we see in the Scripture, there was an exhortation for, and there was like an accountability structure within the church. How would that trickle up if we started focusing on discipleship in the rank and file in the church? How would that trickle up to the pastorship? Well, my first thought on that, John Arthur, is that uh, the church needs to have a pastor who is willing to have his life spoken into. Uh, that uh, my wife uses the term that far too often we see among uh, churches and the churches of the association we're a part of. She uses the term elitism, and I can't help but agree uh, that she said there is a, a mentality of there is an elite group at the top, and everybody else is supposed to be down here. And I do not find that to be a biblical example. Uh, I don't believe that's a biblical model. Certainly there's a leader. Uh, there has to be a pastor that leads. But uh, I, th- I think the, I think the pastor has to have enough confidence in his walk with Jesus that he can handle somebody coming and saying, uh, and I've had it here, I've had it in, in the church that I served, that uh, um, I did a class and a man came to me and he's like, I've never heard this term. Can you explain it? And yes, I can. I can explain it. But I'd rather that than him going out of the room going, oh, I don't agree with anything that pastor said in there. Ask me a question. But, but then again, that's part of what we do being accountable is we open ourselves up for questions and, and be, give an account to that. Yeah, but you know, iron sharpens iron. And yes. when you are yep. a leader yep. and you have people underneath you that um, have knowledge, it, it really stirs you on to work harder at getting your theology correct. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think it's a blessing because yeah. I know in, in our c- class that the people that come in, the young people that come in there that have a lot of knowledge, boy, I tell you what, you got to just go home and do your homework because, you know, they're going to hold you accountable. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Yeah, that was one that's of the biggest challenges thing. I had with prison ministry. Oh, yes. You, I remember. You do not walk in there well, and think, that you're going to snowball somebody on something that you're, you're personally questioning, they will they will flat out call you out on it, and if you don't come back with an appropriate response, you've lost them. They're not staying. And let me, because I can testify of this. Charlie started pre- prison ministry 25 years ago. Oh, it's more than that. Yeah. And until he started prison ministry, he did not have the knowledge of the one of the th- problems in our marriage was. I had more biblical knowledge than he did. I remember a time 25 years ago, I was like, why won't you pray with me? And he goes, because he was embarrassed 
that I had more knowledge than what he did scripturally. And, but when he went to the prison and, and started working in a prison ministry, he changed. He realized, oh, wow, I, I can't minister here with this knowledge that I had. And so he got to work. It was and, truly iron sharpened iron there. Yes, mm. yes, it was. And it made a big difference in his walk with the Lord. So I think that that's something that, by and large, the church has been has been missing. And we, we can we, we talked about it in the last episode that y'all watched uh, with with the problem with the youth ministry, how the youth is departing from the church. You can complain about the twelve percent of youth pastors who actually have a world biblical worldview. You can complain about that, but who who elected that youth minister? Who put that youth minister in place? It's us. And so we, we can cry about pastors all we want, but God has given us this this system that we can hold people accountable. We, and you know, you go, you go one as an individual, two to exhort, and then three you bring them before the body and you say, "Wait a minute, you're doing this wrong," and you do it in that order, in that way. And so I actually want to bring that up a little bit to pastor, and I, I want to ask you if if someone does have an issue with a pastor, you started to say a moment ago, if, if someone has a question. They should ask you. Mm-hmm. So what what happens? And we're going to talk about some unfortunate incidents in a little bit. But what happens when a pa- when someone a parishioner has a question about a pastor? How should they go about that? A lot of people go about it one way, and then there's the biblical way. So if, if you would care to share a little, shed a little bit of light on that. And I'm gonna I'll answer that based on a person who has a good attitude. All right, I'll start I'll start with that because sometimes people. Uh, have a genuine question, and they have a good attitude, but they're afraid to just go straight to the pastor and look him in the eyes and ask. It's not because they're underhanded or or backbiting or anything. They just have a personality that just doesn't want to ask that. Yes. Uh, and and so we've had, and, and I think this is where leaders in the church come uh, and, and help because they can go to, uh, they go to a deacon, and say, hey, I'm just curious. Do you understand? You know, and I get sometimes where people have talked, and of course, our deacons are calling uh, church members for uh, like widows and widowers, and they're they're taking care. And along the way, sometimes they'll go, well, how come we never, or how come the pastor? And you know, it's not out of an impure motive; it's just a question, and they bring it to me, and I'll answer it. And they go back and and tell them. I do. I have had people who were just come and hey, I just I need to. Uh, there's a, a couple that uh, recently joined our church that before they made it official, they called, made an appointment. We just want to look you in the eyes and ask some questions and get to know you a little bit, and and that's that's part of what we do. And I love it. I love it. I will say this, John Arthur. When I was young in the ministry, people who were very outspoken. Uh, and unafraid to say what they thought or unafraid to ask a question, they used to scare the life out of me. Uh, but what I come to find out was, number one, is immaturity. Number two, I had a lot I wanted to hide because if they dig too deeper, they, they would find that I was shallow uh, and didn't have a good foundation and uh, or didn't have the right answer. And so I found in my younger days, I ran from those people quite a bit until God began to teach me, no, those, because he wouldn't let me run. Every time I run, I run right into one. And, <laughs> and, and yet what it began to teach me is, number one, these are people going to ask you the questions you need to be answering. And they're going to speak the truth. And I've come to appreciate people who look me in the eye, ask me a question, tell me the truth. And I never have to wonder what they're thinking. 
Absolutely. And that's, that's I think, unfortunate that we kind of have a, a lack of safety. And I, again, I, I hate to use that word. Sorry, guys. I'm producing here. If you, if you like the way that the podcast is normally produced, hit a like <laughs> down there for Ryan because he's actually out with his family. Uh, they're grieving the loss of someone and, in their family. And Ryan and if, does a great and Ryan job. Ryan does a great job. Probably better job. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for not letting Steve I talk. <laughs> yeah. It's all pent up Steve there. Just said, I'm, I'm listening right now. I'm, I'm collecting. Soaking in. This well, is good stuff. I'm, I'm, oh, gosh. So while they fix that, I'm right in the middle of the transition to Steve. I, you know, Steve hasn't just piped up yet, but we're going to ask I'm, Steve what he studied for. <laughs> My gosh. Okay. Okay. All right. So. In the chair of politics, because I do want to say how how we've kind of we've shifted and we've veered a little bit in this country that we've lost cultural authority. And, and I'll make the argument because we lost we we're standing outside of the authority, the umbrella of authority that we have. Mm-hmm. And as part of that is there's a lack of accountability in the church. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we, we've started to see stuff happen in politics. And I want to go ahead and pull up. You know, really quick, a couple of a couple of scenes. Before here. you get there, John Arthur, I, I I would like to say one thing, on one of the things that uh, the pastor was talking about just a little bit earlier, um, on accountability. Um, I think sometimes um, new people when they go in to listen to a pastor who's not preaching from the Bible, and they're just preaching. I think what they have a tendency to do is put their faith in man in, than instead of God. And what they're doing is is they go in there and they listen to that person and they get disappointed in what they're, in what they're hearing instead of going, you know, this person should be preaching from God and I know what God should be saying to me, and I need to say something to him. And that's where your faith in God comes in and saying something to him instead of just being disappointed in the person and walking out and never coming back. So there, you, you know, just— You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you just dug up two gems, and I, and I would like Pastor actually to to re- react to this, Pastor Tally, if you would— there, there, there's two parts to, to that equation, right? There's the individual who has idolized a pastor, and uh, and so the, there's there, there's two things that are going on there. One, there's the idolization, and B, two rather, there is a certain lack of potentially a lack of studying if you're trusting the pastor just to spoon feed you everything. So, if, if you wouldn't mind breaking that down, because it is easier to trust someone. I mean, we come to sources of authority, but in the last four years, we've learned that maybe some some authorities on some subjects, it might be better to be studied. Is the Bible one of those subjects? And how does one go about understanding the role of a pastor in your life? And would that not aid itself or lend itself to the idea of the dumbing down of our nation? Mm. Uh, that oh, man. you... Wow. It's a lot easier than, than for somebody to just say something that feels good to you. 
uh, because we are a very much a, an emotional nation. We like to feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if somebody is saying something or doing something, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if y'all have addressed this here. I would imagine that you have. Uh, but the, the prosperity gospel is one that continues uh, to make people feel good. It, to me, it's kind of like the whole context of evolution. Uh, shouldn't we see a midway point somewhere by this point? By now, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we see a process? Well, you know, shouldn't we see in a prosperity gospel somebody ought to be making some money at some point? You know, uh, but all we get is more, more, more. Give, 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 so you can have. Uh, but that makes them feel good, and that doesn't require them to dig into the Word to find out is that what the Bible really says? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know from myself, raised in a Baptist preacher's home, there was a lot of facts I assumed but couldn't prove until I got questioned earlier on in the ministry and realized, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I got to go find out. And I started taking the time to look. So, uh, so the answer to the question, number one, that to me represents the culture we're living in that simply accepts things at face value because that's easier. It doesn't require, uh, if I don't have to go look for it, then, then I won't. Uh, but then that also speaks to the pastor who should be saying some things, uh, teaching their congregation, hey, you ought to be in the Word. You ought to be studying. You ought to be checking me here. Uh, is this really what the Bible says? Because every pastor that I know, including myself, is fallible. Mm-hmm. And we can mess up or we can see things wrong. Or we can just slip of the tongue, say something that came out wrong or just simply be dead wrong. Uh, any of those things are possible, and you need somebody who's listening to be able to catch that. Amen. I think one of the greatest fears that any of us that are teaching the Word have is the fear of misleading somebody doctrinally. Yes. I mean, that is... Yeah. Mm-hmm. that it, it just... It, it makes you almost shiver. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 if you're not careful... It'll put you in a place where you won't teach because of that fear. You know, um, I was sharing with somebody earlier today, just trying to counsel a young man. I'd mentioned that sometimes as Christians, we, we poo-poo all over the carpet, and yet God in his goodness and grace will come and clean it up. And I, I took that and I pushed it back to Romans 8. 28. We know that all things work together for good. Not all things are good. Sometimes we made a mess on the carpet and God had to come clean it up. For we know that all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. We need to trust that God can take the lemons that we've put out and he'll make lemonade out of them. It'll work together for good, some way, somehow. We, ne- we may not ever know. We may not ever see it. But I know for me, when I'm teaching, that that is something that just, it, it just kind of makes me quake, mm-hmm. you know, in that. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And so, yeah, and, and there is a higher accountability. And uh, the, the citation escapes me, but it, uh, it's better that there's fewer teachers. Mm. And, and and that's not right. to say that, that a father doesn't have a responsibility to teach in his household. A mother doesn't have a responsibility to teach her children. That, that's not saying that. That's saying you got to be careful 
accepting that responsibility. And so kind of to move into the next segment, and I I wanted to put this to Steve because we were saving a couple stories for Steve and uh, in the chair of politics. And I know that uh, these are going to be small letters for y'all, but uh, in the studio, but I will read them off. Those of you who are online, you can see uh, you're having a lot of turbulence in the world here from the AP Pope mandates reporting of sex abuse to church, mm. not the police. Oh, so good. I want to kind of go get y'all's immediate reaction. to that started with pastor. Oh, I, I I'm appalled. Um, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> how, how in the world can you, uh, matter of fact, there's another story we're gonna, probably going to talk about, I'm assuming, in a little while. My first response is, why didn't somebody call the police at that moment? Agreed. Uh, because that's, um, at that point, that goes out of, this is beyond just sin. It's sin, but now we're under legal authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that all pastors really, I, I'm not even understanding how they could, he could be allowed to do that. Or I don't know if in, in this country that would even be acceptable. Because in the world we live in, that's that's a requirement on my part. And, right. And right. correct me if I'm wrong, isn't this the very issue that Jesus addressed when he walked this earth? He said, whose coin do you have? Mm-hmm. It's Caesar's. Right. Correct. That's, it, that's the inscription. Render unto Caesar the thing that is Caesar's. Mm-hmm. Render unto God the things that are God. And what more could you do to drive people out of the church? Oh, my than to advocate a policy like that. That's shameful, that's awful. And and by the way, I'm not slamming Catholics because of that. I'm just saying in general, I don't mm-hmm. care if it's Baptists, Methodists, Episcopalians, I don't care who you are. Right. When you advocate a, a policy like that, you are literally driving people mm-hmm. out of the church. So it, to, go ahead. To well, me, this is like having the fox guard the yes. hen house. Yes. I, I mean, this is absurd. And so just to get everyone else's reaction, and I want to build on this, I want to get everyone's reaction in just a moment. Let's go a little bit further. We're also seeing more than $300 million from the U.S. Catholic Church. By the way, you know, Protestants are not exempt. This is yeah. one denom. Amen. Correct. That's right. This exactly. is one oh, you're, denom. You're correct. That's right. That's so right. I just laying it out there. This is not a right. dunk on Catholics, maybe a little bit on the Pope, like, buddy. <laughs> Uh, at least his actions, okay? You you can despise that. Yes. The yes. actions. The actions. Without despising the person. Right. And so you have that story. And then this is from the SEC. So this comes to the chair of politics, Mr. Steve. Yes, sir. The SEC charges uh, the Church of uh, Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints a different denom, okay? And some of us would argue whether or not that's a... Okay, evangelical... I'm going to leave that alone. Uh and its investment management company for disclosure failures and misstated filings. A lot of this has to do with their handling of abuse. Oh, on the LDS. What happens? Oh my gosh. What happens when we as a church do not hold ourselves accountable? And and I'm going to take this biblical for a moment. Let's let, let let's look at the children of Israel for our example. God sent prophets, priests and kings to call his people back to him. When his people repeatedly killed those prophets, priests, and usually the king died, usually didn't get killed if he was a righteous king, the unrighteous ones got slayed. But if we kill the prophets and the priests, eventually who does God always send? Someone else. 
And what, what did David say? He said, let me fall into the hands of God because he, he is merciful. Do not let me fall into the hands of men. But what do we see with God's people today? What's happening with politics in the church? I want, Mr., I want Pastor Tally, and then I want Mr. Steve, your reaction after. We're seeing our own, my opinion, we're seeing our own Kings and Chronicles retribution coming as a church because we have not been holy. Mm-hmm. How can we as a church start to turn that around in the face of politics? And what happens if we don't? So in essence, the, the protectors have become the predators. And, and going back to the, uh, the statement that he has made or the edict he's passed down, that's, that's in essence what's happening, is we're no longer protecting the sheep, we're preying on them. And, and God has called us to be the—I mean, we're going to stand before God and give an account for, uh, for that very thing. And that's the standard we, we ought to be held to. Uh, and that, going back to what we've said earlier, that is why I think we have no voice in the culture, is because we've allowed the world's mindset to come into, into the church. Uh, instead of standing against that kind of thing, we, we've allowed it to take place. So, Mr. Steve. Yes, here we have the LDS church. Here they are with all of this money they've made. I mean, we're talking an extreme amount of money. They deliberately get this management company to take it and hide it from the SEC. Not only from the SEC, but from their congregation, and they hide it from the, what is it, the... um, who else? Uh, uh, I'm assuming Wall the Street, IRS. Wall yeah. Street. For people to keep from making investments. So they don't see the investment amounts that they're making with the amount of money that they are doing. Now, tell me that's not accountability problem. So they spread it out among various little companies so that it looks like these companies have small amounts of money and making these investments with small amounts of money. Now tell me that is not an accountability problem so that they're not showing how much they actually have. I mean, come on, John. You know what I'm saying, John Arthur? It leads into something that's very important. I don't I see parts in denominations of the church. Again, if you're one of these denominations, look, every denomination, everyone in this room belongs to, or they, they affiliate generally with a denomination or are part of one, okay? And every single one of those is faulty, okay? But what we see is some denominations prioritize money, yeah. and, 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 and that's like the focus, that's the, the desire. And I think that what we're seeing is we're, as our focus is leaving and departing from God, we're seeing the political infrastructure coming in and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're actually violating laws. And there's a whole set of uh, investigations that have been hitting the church for financial, for you know, ab- abuse of minors across the board. It doesn't matter if you are doing evil 
in Romans 13, it says that the, 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 the one who bears the sword does not do so in vain. It is to mete out righteousness and justice. And you're supposed to be compliant with the righteous and just laws. The ones that deny you from God, that's your, you, you, you draw your line. But these are all things where we're cheating, and it, it's coming back to hurt us. Right, and it's making the, the church look bad because, just like you said, they're, they're having problems with their money, paying taxes, and having investment problems because of the way they're, they're spreading their money out because they're not doing what they're doing as far as taxes go. They're having problems with child sexual problems, not just children, but also adults. And it's not just beholden on to the Catholics, but it's all across all various faiths. And there, and then the government's now coming in and starting to slam on them. And I completely disagree with the way the Pope is wanting to do this and just keep it in the Catholic religion because basically to me it's just saying that they're hiding what they're doing and it makes it too easy to continue this problem just by hiding it Indeed. so that it's, you know, okay, we got this problem. So, you so know. and you know, Steve, what, what's amazing to me is that that should be, uh, it is obvious to the world, to people outside the church. How is it not obvious to the Pope? Right. And I'm not... I think what you said just a moment ago is spot on. This is not just a Catholic issue. I was, I was thinking a moment ago, you know, there was a college, a Christian college in the U.S. that sold books. Did it under the guise of 501c3. No, you're not. That's what the government said. They right. were making a lot of money. And guess what they did? So you're, you're not wrong, right. though. You're a business. That the church is perceived differently now because of that. Let's look at two stories yeah. On that, and then I want to deal with a couple of examples, and I want to get Pastor Tally's breakdown of what went wrong in these three stories and what also went right. So let's let's get there, because we are coming up on time. I want to go and look over at the spillover effect. This is from uh, uh, Wiley Online Library, and let me pull this up real quick. Uh, the spillover effect of scandals on exits from Catholic and Protestant churches in Germany. And as you start to read, you're seeing a massive decline. Again, link in the description below. I believe that there was, here we go. Here's our graph. So this is the graph of exits. And if y'all can see that, we see a massive exodus coming from 1957. We were looking at in the thousands, is this the thousands? Per thousand members. Okay. Uh, close to zero in the German church out of the six denominations there, uh, as far as a thousand being on the mark, all the way up until 2017, where you're having exodus of six to 8,000. Germany is not that big of a country. And you had this increase in, in incline as high as 8,000 from any one of these six main denominations in Germany exiting every year. You're seeing the, the sieve, you know, the cork has been popped, and you have a sieve of people flowing out. And you're right, Mr. Charlie. The world does see it, and they do react. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we can talk about apostasy versus salvation. That's not a conversation for today. 
whatever you're looking at, whatever metric you're looking at, we are not effective as Christ's body. Well, that's not even—I I think that, when you're looking at the totality of what we're talking about today, it's a moral issue. And if the world can't see you as even being moral, what am I doing wasting my time darkening your doors to teach me about morals? Correct. Correct. And from the chair of economics, I want to just go ahead and put one last one, and then let's get to our stories for the day, because this has been a long wind-in. But we wanted to set the table, okay? We want to set yep. the table. Losing my religion, the effects of religious scandals and participation of charitable giving. Okay, so again, link in the description below, as always. Uh, I'm looking for the graph. Oop, I'm looking for the wrong one. Uh, we've seen a significant decline in charitable giving. So I, I want to go to the chair of economics real quick. What happens when we do not have, we do not see accountability and we do not see the value in inputting into the eternal? And, and let, let me preface that real quick, because I think some people really miss, miss what a tithe is, and I think that's part of a lack of accountability in the church. So, Mr. Charlie, and, and actually, first I'm going to go with Pastor, and then mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Mr. Charlie. Yep. Yep. One of the things that my mom did when she was raising me, and she got me to realize how important tithing was, is I was five, four or five years old. She goes, look, you're not giving a lot. I know you're, you're, you're working, you're making $5 or $7 a week. I was rich. Uh, she goes, look, you can give that money or you can hold it. But there's going to be people in heaven who you did not meet on this earth because you sent, because we're part of a Bible-believing church yeah. that has a strong missionary body, and they're sending. There's going to be people who said you were one of the thousand or million people who provided infrastructure so that I could hear the word of God in an unreached mission field. So when we don't have that scope and structure and that accountability in the church, what happens to people's impetus to giving, Pastor? For better or for worse, whether you have the Bible, you know, obviously in church giving, we use the Bible as our basis for how we give. But people give to what they believe in. Yep. Uh, and if they are... You know, if they are people who say, you know what, I'm a tither. I believe the Bible teaches tithing. I'm going to tithe. The problem is I can't do that here. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go find somewhere where I can believe what they're doing in the mission of the church, the ministries of the church, and I'm going to give there. Yep. So if, number one, we are not uh, teaching the church that this is our mission, this is what we're doing as a church body— well, then they're not going to be eager to give. Number two, if you are not transparent and accountable to the money that's coming into the church, then again, for those who have a biblical background, they're going to go find a church that is. They're going to go look for a place that has done it because people believe, they give to what they believe in, and they will give how they believe. And if tithing is one of those things, I'm not going to quit tithing. I'm just going to have to go find somewhere that I can believe in. Boy, I'm not sure you can state it much better than that. That was really good. Nikki and I give to uh, missions outside of our church as well. We give to missions inside, and we give to missions outside. And one of our criteria is, what are you doing with that money? Do not tell me that you're using 25% of it. Mm, that's not going to fly. Uh, if you're using 25%, 
there has to be an extremely compelling reason for that. Now, there are some situations that are. That's fine. But what Pastor Shannon said there a moment ago is spot on right. I guarantee you, Nikki and I are not going to give something that we don't believe in. It's not happening. We work too hard for it to be wasted. And, you know, I've told young people in our, our Bible study, I have told them that if you cannot give here, if you cannot put your ties in at this church, you probably ought to find another church. Mm-hmm. Now, there's not too many Bible study leaders that might be willing to say that. But here's the thing. A church cannot operate for free. There's got to be something to help it along. I'm not saying that we need multi-millions of dollars of, of, uh, nope, that's a discussion for another time. What I'm saying is, is that there are people that have to lead it. There are people that have to be employed to do it. There are, at times, buildings that need to to be heated or cooled or whatever. Those are things that are necessary for the operation of the church. Can you give to that? What is the church doing? Is it reaching out in the community? Is it reaching out in the mission field? If there's not those things happening, you might want to check what's going on. You might want to try to cause a change within your church. And if you don't Mm -hmm. feel like you can bring that change, you probably ought to find another church. And that's, I think, the the, the deepest-seated disgust for the church that we see in the culture. And I see people in the comment section. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm reading the one, even the ones that YouTube pulls off because they're so vulgar. Look, there are churches who do abuse, abuse. Totally that. concur. Yeah. And speaking of which, speaking of which, we we actually want to pull into the next story here, and I want to get everyone's reaction to this because this is an interesting one. Uh, I found this one to be somewhat heartbreaking that it happens. I'm glad you brought this one up. So let's go ahead and listen to this clip. And this is a uh, clip uh, from a Kansas City pastor where he calls the congregation cheap, uh, busted, and disgusted. But I'll let him speak for himself. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. I'm not worth your Red Lobster money. I ain't worth your St. John Nick. Y'all can't afford it, no how. I ain't worth y'all Louis Vuitton. I ain't worth your Prada. I'm not worth your Gucci. Mother, ooh, I'm saying this, and I promise you, Deacon, it's not with respect of won't. I'm saying it because I want you to understand just what God is saying. I even found out that Movado, you can buy a Movado watch in Sam's. Yes, you can. And y'all know I asked for one last year. Here it is the whole way in August. I still ain't got it. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Let me kick down the door and talk to my cheap sons and daughters. Okay. So that's what... <laughs> he did come back and apologize. He did. He, he did. He came back and apologize. But still. He did. Well, so there's a, there's a whole context to that. Okay. <laughs> there is a whole context to that that the internet's jumping on. I want to get Pastor's reaction to it. And then I want to talk about the context. The context is, is that he's been talking about tithing being down. He's like, I can't even... But, but... I want to get the uh, your first blush reaction. <laughs> Keyword is what's, blush. Well, what's funny is in my preparation, I read it. I didn't listen to it, and having listened to it, I so, sounded a little different. different. It's a little bit different. <laughs> a little bit different. 
And, and I can almost promise you I know what his context is or what he's trying to teach them. Uh, num- number one, uh, when you make it all about you, you lose the context. Uh-oh. Amen. Uh, when it's all about what you want, you've lost the context. Uh, I'm having a hard I'm sitting here going, I don't know what denomination. Well, I do know what denomination it showed. Uh, I know the denomination I serve. If I spent my time telling my congregation what I wanted and fussing months later because I didn't get it, uh, that congregation will be looking for another pastor, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we didn't buy you a watch, but we watched you, bought you a plane ticket. But, uh, <laughs> and we might have even bought it at <laughs> Sam's. <laughs> a bus ticket so at McDonald's. <laughs> I, I think uh, because here's, here's what something my mama said to me most of my life. Many a truth is said in jest. Uh, while he might be in his mind making a trying to make a biblical point, of which I still disagree with. I still disagree with the context mm-hmm. that he's making. Uh, but that number two, I mean, that was pretty clear. I asked you for it months ago. It's August. I still ain't got it. Yeah. You, I'm sorry. I think there's still a little truth in that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and thirdly, I think you've missed the whole point of biblical giving. Mm. Amen. Oh. Oh, Miss Nikki, you, you you had a reaction there. <laughs> she's about, she's getting me that bus ticket, is what she's doing. No, no. <laughs> no, she's getting him that bus ticket. <laughs> you know, I I um, the thing about pastors and churches, and really it goes to the denomination you're in, because we have been in denominations where you did not question the pastor, you did not go against the pastor. Um, the pastor was second to God, and that's the way it was. That's a nightmare to be in a church like that. That is a nightmare because what you have done is you've elevated a man to a position that he cannot hold. Yes. He's not humanly possible. One of the things that um, I had a conversation with my daughter yesterday was her birthday. And we are talking, and, and she was sharing with me about... These two women in church were talking about when their kids turned 18, they they went their own way and they left the church. And she goes, I don't understand that, Mom. She goes, there's five of us. We're all in church. I said, Serena, why are you in church? She says, because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I said, that's why all five of you are in church. And, And when I said it, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything like that. But what I was trying to do was show her that her experience, and then I brought this up, we always told the kids, let people be human. Amen. Okay? The pastor's Amen. human. The people in church are human. They're going to make mistakes. It's not making the mistakes that's the problem. It's how you deal with the yep. mistake. Yeah. Yep. And we're going to give them grace. And so my kids are not quick to make a judgment call because they've seen stuff in church. They've seen people act incorrectly. And get it right. And we're, you know, one of the things that we always talk about, it's you repent to restore your relationship with Christ, and now you're reconciled. These are the things you have to keep in practice. You've got to let people be human, and you've got to give them space. That is really well said. And if I could just say one more thing to add on to that, John Arthur, I have told our young people this. I want to tell this for every single listener that is, that is attending church right now or a Bible study. Do not... You stop this. You do not put your pastor on a pedestal. 
You do not put your leaders, your Bible study leaders, on a pedestal. You are setting yourself up for a major fall. Yes. That is the wrong thing to do. They are exactly what Nikki said. They are human. They are flawed, just like the rest of us. And my point was is that they're still in church because they can deal with the stuff that comes up in church because Charlie has laid a good foundation for them. You You know, John Arthur, this morning... Um, I was looking over these articles, and then I read also an article where at a church, a pastor and his wife had someone come in to their church and rob him and his wife of a million dollars of jewelry that they had on that they were wearing while they were in church. Now, you tell me how a pastor and his wife at a church could have a million dollars worth of jewelry. What are they doing with them? I mean, you know, you know <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that, that that's hard to respond to. I, I will temper that with this. I agree with you. And there's that there is a question. I do know a pastor who was a lay pastor. He was a multimillionaire. And he sold everything. One by one, he sold part of his part of his business. He sold his eventually he sold his Jaguar, his wife's Jaguar. He gave his wife a Jaguar. He drove an F150. And he's like, "My wife drives and I but finally they sold it because people kept complaining that she was driving a old Jaguar." And they finally said, you know what? We, we don't want to have that appearance. So you can be rich and be a pastor. Mm-hmm. But my question is, is where is your heart in amassing that wealth? Mm, because, good question. Because I, I, I think that's something that's important. Where's your heart? Is that something that someone gave you? Or is that something that you bought with the widow's mites that were dropped in the coffer? Mm-hmm. It's just something to think about. And it's something that we should ask. We should be willing to be gracious, by the way, yep. like in the context yep. of this one lay pastor who was very rich. He has dwindled in his wealth as he supported 26 churches in Africa. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So you, so th- there are examples of that that exist, but we should always be asking, pastor, I see you got that. Um, that, that that's awesome. Uh, where, where, where are your priorities personally? Like what I can, can we have a talk about, about missions and where you're sitting on that? be a really good way to potentially hold them accountable. They were wearing this jewelry <laughs> during the services is what they did. That's they are you wore sure, this jewelry. Are, are you sure that they didn't need that number for the insurance? Maybe it really wasn't a million dollars, but they might have insured it for <laughs> oh, no. But I'll tell you I, I what, mean, it, we're off the rails you here. see <laughs> a, a video of this pastor up there preaching and he's got some pretty nice gold on. It's hard yeah. to take an offering well, when you're wearing that kind of jewelry. <laughs> well, if I could state this, and we'll, we, I'm sure you're ready to slide into something else. But to go back to the gentleman we watched a moment ago, the pastor we watched a moment ago, and, and fussing at his flock because he hadn't got what he asked for. It's It reminds us that our mindsets have become cluttered uh, or deceived. Because we're called to serve. My wife and I consider it our job to serve Memorial Baptist, not for Memorial to serve me, uh, to to serve. And so we, if we start heading down a path like that, 
uh, we're in trouble. Yeah, we are. Because that's not what God's called. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. That's what the Bible says. And that's what he's called us to do, is to serve. And so that, I think, is the primary issue that so many people get worried about when they see wealthy pastors. And so always ask, did they come to the ministry with that money? Or did or are they taking that money from the ministry? Mm. And then there there is a way in humility and love, as you would a brother, as you would a slave owner of you, come to them in meekness. That's not saying timidity, that's saying, Pastor, I see this. I I have questions. Where where's your heart? Mm. Right? And and that's how you bring accountability to anyway, spoilers for the end. That's how you always bring accountability to people is you come in that spirit of love. The word exhort in the uh, uh, Greek is parakaleo. Which, uh, uh, Mr. Charlie, I love that word. What's the word for Holy Spirit? Paraclete. So there's a there there's a reason why I like that word. Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is parakaleo. You're supposed to come along gently, as the Holy Spirit does, with conviction and kindness, and bring it, but in but in sincerity and truth. So as such, people need this, and we could talk about Robbie Zacharias. We could talk about a lot of people, but yep. I, I don't want to go too far down the route because that's a whole that's a whole roller other topic coaster. there too. But we'll talk about this gentleman here, and th- this is a story from People Magazine, link in the description below, as always. Pastor admits to adultery during service, but then the female church member takes the mic. I was just Ooh. 16. And we're going to listen to this. Unreal. And this is one of the most uh, gut-wrenching things that I have listened to recently. Yeah. Oops, I'm going to go ahead and full screen this, and we're going to play this. So we're going to play this. If you've got stuff. sensitive ears, moms and dads. Yes. This is a hard one. Yep. Okay. So we're going to play from, um, if you're following along, if you want to look back later, 704 to 820, link in the description below. This is the Facebook video, the original. Oops, one moment. The victim, and I would still be in a prison if my brother, and many of you know him, Edgar Wolf, had not approached me just two weeks ago with what he had seen as a teenager that bothered him all these years. His pastor in bed with his younger sister t-shirt and underwear on. People knew but were too afraid to come forward, and they have now. The lies and the manipulation have to stop. I was a prisoner, and you kept me in your prison. I'm a prisoner no longer. I was just 16 when you took my virginity on your office floor. Do you remember that? I know you do, and I have plenty of other stories that I could bring to your remembrance. You did things to my teenage body that had never and should have never been done. If you can't admit the truth, you have to answer to God. You are not the victim here. I tried to tell someone, but all that was done was cover up. No one ever came to me. No one ever helped me. No one ever got me counseling. I have wanted to talk to somebody all of these years and never. You have. You have somebody that you've talked to. I never have. Okay, so there are three things that I'm seeing here, and I see three things, and I want mm-hmm. Pastor, because y- you're someone that, you know, y- you and I have had talks about this leading up to, you know, your, your guest appearance mm-hmm. on the show multiple times. There are three things that I see that went wrong, and I'd like, I'd like you to add anything else that you see, but I see that there was no accountability in the pastor in how he was, had access to someone of the opposite sex, without, while counseling, with not being present. 
Mm. He should have should have had someone else with mm-hmm. with him mm. with her. Two, there was no accountability from the office staff or the the deacons or the elders or just the people in the church. They knew, but they were too afraid to say. And then three, there was no outlet, no space where she felt like she could talk about it. And for 16 years, it was a deep, dark secret that ruined this individual. Like, let me rephrase that. Substantively changed this woman's life for the worse for 16 years. Mm. So what are the guardrails that a godly pastorship should have up? And how would a church member go about looking into their own church, making sure that they are firewalled against this? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's something I've been taught from day one, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. I'm thankful for that, that you have to protect yourself, not just from the appearance, but from the actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, appearance is one thing, it's bad enough, but any actions that lead to non-accountability. Uh, a pastor needs to have, number one, a window in his office. Uh, and in my office, there's a window in the door. My secretary's office is next to me. She's got two huge windows uh, that, and if I'm meeting with a lady, uh, those windows are open. I want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And so that there, and because there's two sides of protection here, there is the exactly what this, sadly, this lady endured at the hands of a pastor. Number two, there is those who would want to accuse and destroy somebody. There you go. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. and so accountability yep. goes on both sides of those. You're protecting yourself as well as uh, your morality, your testimony, your actions. And, uh, that's something that, uh, and I would have to go back to what you've already said. Somebody should have said something, yeah. uh, and I, my heart hurts for that. My, uh, and I'm agreeing with her. I don't hurt for him. It's sad for him. I'm hurting for her, yeah. uh, but somebody should have said something a long time ago. So, let's go ahead, and anyone else have a thought that they'd like to they'd like to share? I, I in this day and age. Um, I don't think there's even a problem with putting cameras in an office Mm -hmm. to help with that protection. Uh, Obviously, in days before video cameras were possible like we have them today, doing what Pastor Shannon has talked about, look, if you don't want to invest in the technology, that's the minimum you can do, and it's really easy. It's, It's not that difficult, you know, and I think if if I were pastoring, I'd be thinking about protection for both. Yep. You know, and wow, that, it's heart wrenching to hear that. So, I do want to say, and and we'll, we'll come back to this in the closing. We're, we're almost done for the day, um, but I, I want to come back to this in the closing. One of the things that I do is I have someone in my life who has full access to my phone, like it. You know, hand it over. You can see everything that's on my phone. Go for it. That's not everyone. It shouldn't be everyone. But um, a lot of people suggest pastors having a, 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 a internet tracking, like, what's your search history? Yep. Right? Wouldn't we all act a little bit differently if we knew, like you said, do you really believe that God's watching you? Yep. And if you don't believe that God's watching you, what would happen if someone else, whether it be your wife <coughs> or a brother in the, in the, in the, in the church— had full access to everything that you swiped on. Mm-hmm. Something, something to think about. If you struggle with with pornography, mm-hmm. maybe 
maybe consider that. Yep. Maybe consider that because that's a way of accountability. Find someone you trust. Yeah. Who's not going to harm you. Mm-hmm. But um, I will say though on that, John Arthur, and and I don't disagree with what you're saying there. Um, I will say that if evil really wants to do evil, evil will find a way. Amen. So, if for for those that are looking for an absolute rock type, that's the solution, and seal it up. Mm, no, sorry, well, you're not going to find it. There is a solution. It's complete and utter submission to Christ. Amen. Yes. Amen. So, yeah. but that's the hard one. <laughs> so, yeah. kind of moving into that a little bit is a little segue there. Oh. A segue into Matt Chandler. Just Matt, you may or may not agree with everything that Matt Chandler has theologically, and some of the things that he has said uh, rub me incredibly wrong. <laughs> but I will say something. I am impressed with this story. Mm-hmm. Okay, this story is from Matt Chandler. So the, this is from People Magazine. Again, link in the description below as always. Uh, what married pastor Matt Chandler did uh, during his time off after messaging another woman and what's happening with the reinstatement pro- uh, process. So in August, church elders said Chandler had been approached regarding concerns, quote, concerns about the way that he was using direct messaging on social media with a woman who was, quote, not his wife, unquote. An inquiry in his messaging history found that while messages were not romantic or sexual in nature, the frequency and familiarity crossed a line. He says, I don't think I did anything wrong, but he and his wife were aware of the conversation. Again, they had that extra layer of accountability, but the church says, wait a minute, you're getting close to the rail. We don't want to crucify you. We don't want to break you. But maybe you need to see that you've been very familiar with this person, and you need to be careful, and you haven't been doing it in a, in a way that is what we would think is safe. Pastor, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was, uh, in, in one way, I was uh, curious as to what brought that on, especially because there was two things that I guess that my first thoughts were uh, as to my, my opinion about the conversation. But then I read his wife and her husband were aware of everything being said, uh, and they were not sexual or romantic in nature. And so I, I guess my my first thought was, well, what what was wrong? I guess what was the... But if I'm hearing that the leaders of the church were saying, we're not crazy about the direction this is headed, then I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. Um, I will say my wife would be the first person to say, uh, this, you know, she's not going to let that, if that's, that was going on, she's not going to let that go far at all. She's going to say, Hey, you, you need to back off, but uh, that's uh, correct. That's right. so, but I can appreciate, I can appreciate two things. I can appreciate the church being concerned. Uh, I did because I was learning some history. I know, I don't know a lot about Matt Chandler. I was learning some history about his cancer. Uh, there are testimonies of other ministers who've went, gone through cancer treatments and, some of their behavior patterns changed afterwards, and uh, and they were called to an account too late. So maybe this church saved him mm. from going too mm. far. And I can also, the last thing, I, I can appreciate his humility in submitting himself to that process, uh, and and I can also appreciate the church loving him to come back, having done what they felt should be done. That right there to me, I think, is one of the strongest points of the story. I still have a little bit of flag here um, about the whole thing because it, it just it part of it doesn't add up to me. But but I'm not here to condemn Matt Chandler either uh, on this thing. 
the most interesting thing to me on this, it reminds me of a saying that I've always given my kids. Guys, if you don't want to fall into the Grand Canyon, stay away from the edge. And I have to wonder in my heart, was this church saying, um, hello, do you know how close you are to the edge? Mm-hmm. And so- I'm, I'm thinking that's what this might have been. It might have been... You're getting too close, and you need to back up. Yeah, and you, I think you need to applaud the uh, deacons and the the men that brought this to him, because most people would say we got to protect the ministry, so let's just let's talk to him privately. Let's you know let's not make this public. But I think really in the long run, because they showed accountability from the top leadership down, mm-hmm. I think it's gonna their church will be blessed by it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you know it like pastor here was saying about his the brain cancer that he had and the drugs that you take in regards to that and everything and how this all affects your brain and sometimes your your thoughts and the directions that you go on something you know the way you deal with uh certain situations that you changes and your your the, your line of thinking changes at times, and it's kind of abnormal. Even though you don't want to do that or wouldn't normally, it it changes because it affects the chemicals in your brain. And you know, and, and I can be understand where he's going because um, of with the the epilepsy that I had, all of the drugs that I take. Mm-hmm. is straight all just brain drugs. I mean, I don't take all these other physical drugs. It's just all for my brain, and and I know it affects me at times. I mean... There's a real physical you know, connection to the Especially with the way I talk sometimes and hear on the podcast, John Arthur's like, hey, dude, you're, you're like not going anywhere with the subject so i've got to cut it that. sometimes i have never said that thank you very no, much. i think that that's great you can just you if you have I you just know kinda... somebody questions you you can just say it's brain drugs man it's <laughs> i mean none of us can say that so but with matt chandler i i i think you're right pastor i think that that that's the kind of accountability that we should see that's you know again we're not here to do a post-mortem on Rabbi Zacharias, a lot of people have, and I, I think some of that gets a little bit uh, frightening and ugly really quickly. But if if RZIM had had that kind of of insight, they wouldn't have allowed, for those of you who don't know who Rabbi Zacharias, they wouldn't have allowed him to have amassed multiple houses that were off-grid, bank accounts, and three or four people, at least, at least, that he was telling you you can't tell anyone that that we're in a relationship let alone my wife because it would destroy the ministry and put a blight on god's name which which is abuse in the worst order it's not just physical it's also spiritual if if we were to act more like matt chandler's church in this one regard i think we would we would see a world that viewed christ differently because Mm -hmm. who you're married to I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, who you're married to does affect people's view of you. Can, can, can I get an amen from y'all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, does that, does that comport? Uh-huh. If Christ is marrying the church, mm-hmm. and if the church looks scummy, 
looks horrible. It paints a terrible view on Christ, and it's sad because it's not Christ that's doing it, it's mm -hmm. us. And if you think about Ravi Zacharias had, uh, not to go deep into this, but he had an incredible impact on a lot of people outside of the United States. And after this all came to light, tell me what that impact was. Negative in some You're, ways. It, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. You're a liar. You lied to me. How and, much of it was a lie? Right. Right. And and I think I, I, what Nikki said earlier was spot on right. We are flawed people. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing with our relationship with Christ, flawed people are not going to damage us. That's putting your faith in man and not in yeah, Christ. That's right. Final yeah. thoughts for the day, Miss Nikki. Why do you always start with me? Because okay. you're in the okay. chair. Start over here. We'll start with Charlie. We'll start with Charlie. We'll let Charlie. you build. I, you know, there's so many good things that, that we can take away from this. And I would say for those of you that may be listening that are not part of the Christian faith, uh, you know, the issue of accountability goes outside of just church. There's, there's account, accountability in organizations and companies, and, and we have accountability with our families. So I, I would say that there's some principles that have been laid out here that, that really apply to everyone. And I would encourage you to think about some of the things that have been shared. Now, yes, we have talked about accountability within the church, and there is a major need for that, as you can attest from the things that have been shared and I think the church needs to do a better job overall. I think the reason we have not is because we are a weak people. Hmm. So, Mr. Steve? Yeah, I would just like to say that, you know, uh, to build on kind of what I was saying earlier about our faith, putting our faith in man versus our faith in Jesus Christ, and that has to do with exactly what the pastor has been talking about in staying studied on the word. And that builds our faith in Jesus Christ in knowing exactly where the word is and what the word is and what God is speaking to us. And that way we know that our faith in man is flawed and we can't do that because we will fail every single time, no matter where you go or what you do. But Jesus Christ will never fail you. Amen. And I'm going to give the last word to Pastor Miss Nikki. I'm, it's here now. Okay. <laughs> I was actually going to say that, you know, real accountability starts in the home. You can't take it to the church until you have it in the home. Mm. And... The problem we have with this generation is they are not being held accountable. They're not disciplined. They don't understand structure. They don't understand basic morality, right and wrong. If they don't understand it in the home, they can't take it to the church. Wow. That's not, it, it, it's just not going to happen. That'll preach. So I would say in closing that accountability is a choice. Uh, and if I understand that ultimately I am accountable to Jesus Christ and I live my life daily accountable to him, then I have no fear of being accountable to mankind. Yep. Correct. Amen on that. Mm. Amen and amen. 
So I'm going to do a camera whip here. So this is in honor of Rai Rai. You guys just saw the camera whip. Thank you final for listening. from John Arthur. Final words from John Arthur. I gave Pastor the final words. Well, wait, you, I, well that's true. Out but of respect. We need, okay, that sounds good. Out of respect. I understand. Yeah, for our guest. Yeah, I understand. Okay. But, that's good. But, okay, final words. Final words. Okay, because you insist. Is that okay, Pastor? Yes, sir. Okay, okay. Final <laughs> words. All right. Final words. If you find yourself questioning your pastor, first off, look inward first. That's something that I've found when I often have a frustration with my pastor, which is rare, but when I do, I have to immediately look internally. Look into yourself and say, why am I frustrated? Is this person calling me to repentance? Is this person bringing conviction? Is it just because his hair's funny because you know he, he dresses however? Or do I have a legitimate concern? And then if I have a legitimate concern, am I coming to him as Elijah calling down lightning bolts, which by the way, that, that's not in fire from heaven, is not really the way Elijah did that out of fear. He said, you know, Lord, protect me. And that's not an angry, you know, Jesus told John and James, you do not know the spirit that you're of. You don't come with fire to someone who's accountability, because guess what? God doesn't do that with you. Praise God. Praise God that he is gentle and loving and slow. So when you're holding someone else accountable, be gentle, loving, slow, and also find someone who can be your accountability partner today, whether that's your spouse, your best friend, someone who you can tell them everything that you're struggling with. Give it over to them. And of course, first accountability partner is Christ. Give it all to Christ. If you like this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe. Thank you for over 200,000 downloads of the audio. YouTube and Rumble are both uh, having their own hiccups. YouTube, uh, Mr. Charlie uh, got us banned again. Thank you. Charlie. So not banned, banned. get fired. But it's a (laughs) shadow banned. This is not cool. So he got us soft banned. Sharing is caring. If you do think that we are spreading something that is good for the remnant church, go ahead and uh, make sure you share. And if you hated this episode dislike that you know that thumbs down button multiple some multiple of two, two two some multiple of two hit it twice with that said we got anything else for you we love you church and friends family and non-church have a wonderful day bye-bye yes. bye okay last thing uh, yep. we always yep. do this Can't i'm sorry we do this to our guests. oh man one last question yep favorite corporate worship song what is your Ooh. favorite and you can have a tie Ooh. you can have a tie but what is your favorite, like, pop off the top of the head? Oh, man, that is a good worship song for church. Mm. We're, we're going to start with you, Miss Nikki, unless you don't want to. Okay. Oh, 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 I hate it when you start with me because I was going brain dead. She was straining okay. from the moment you asked the question. Goodness okay, great. I'll start. How Great Thou Art is, okay. is definitely one of my favorite. Either that or Come Thou Fount. Those are my, those are my mm. two favorites. How about y'all? Revelation song. Ooh. Well, I got a song. I, I don't think it's that corporate, but it's more of a spill it out there. A new song by uh, the singer Big Daddy Weave, and it's called "Redeemed." And it, man, it's really hits my heart because uh, I've been when I was forty-eight. Um, I was saved, and when this song ended up coming out, man, it really spoke to my heart really big time. Go, Big Daddy. Pastor? Worthy of it all is my favorite one. Mm. Worthy of it all. 
When you said Camel Fountain, that is one of my favorites. It's definitely, definitely a good song. Put in the comment section your favorite. Danny, you got a favorite? He's in the uh, not right no, now. Not what is right that now. revelation song? I'm telling you, uh, I'm in between like seven. Ask, off the top of my head. ask okay, Rachel because we know she won't What's your answer. Favorite, Rachel? She's like, I don't. Know. She's thinking. She's no, she's no. getting ready to mouth tell, it. Can you tell Daniel? Tell he'll us. Answer. Tell us what you think Daniel and yep. Rachel's favorite song <laughs> should be in the comment section <laughs> below. Yeah, we love you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 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 <laughs>